Chris, welcome to today's episode. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, for the people that are listening or watching, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay. Well, I'm 35 years old. And when I was 30, I had no idea what I was doing in my life still. So um, sometimes, you you know, there, there's a thing called a late bloomer. Um, so basically... Before this, before I started coaching and before I opened the gym, uh, actually, I shouldn't say before I started coaching. I've been coaching since about 07. Okay. So I've been personal training and coaching since about 07. But before I started this gym, I was uh, doing tons and tons and tons of diet coaching and personal training. And I was working out of a gym in uh, Woburn, a barbell club. And um, was very successful at that, absolutely exploded so many clients and, and so much business. Um, and that's sort of how I scraped together the investment um, that I needed for Ultraflex. I worked tirelessly, you know, I was working 16 hour days, taking a lot out of other parts of my life yeah. to, uh, to, 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 to rally up that sort of energy and, and drive, you know, you only have so many eggs and so many baskets. So I had to take a couple eggs out of some other baskets and to take some hits, my personal life and, you know, my personal fun. Uh, and I basically just decided to work, work, work. So before I was doing full-time coaching, I was working with my father. Uh, I was a property manager. Okay. And, um, you know, that type of job, I'm just not sure how anyone gets passionate about it. Um, you know, uh, for me, a big thing that has made work, so I, I would, I guess the word is bearable, but also enjoyable and, and, um, rewarding. Yeah. Is, you know, I, I found a field that I was passionate about and I always had this thing on the back burner, but I, there was a point when I was working with my father where, where I'm sitting in my office and I'm doing paperwork and I'm doing all these, all these, uh, sort of, um, mundane, you know, Routine. tedious, yeah. repetitive, things and i'm working for somebody else and, and at the same time i was doing personal training outside the gym and coaching people so when i decided to leave you know i was doing pretty well there but i decided to leave uh, i said i gotta make this work so i got nervous and i went into beast mode and basically ignored everything else around me i put the blinders on and i worked and i worked and i worked and i worked and i was incredibly uh i think successful at at that. Um, so I uh, grew up in Gloucester, uh, went to Gloucester High School, then I went to Salem State. Did you play any sports growing up? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I wrestled. I, I played um, football, okay. baseball. Um, I played hockey. So you've always uh, had a passion for fitness. Yeah, and and yeah. I've been working out since I was 13 years old, okay. um, you know, off and on, but mostly on. And um, you know, it's just when I, when I was sitting in my father's, in my, in my office at my, at my father's old company, um, you know, I thought to myself, no matter what, this, this seems like slavery to me because I have to be here yeah. every morning. I have to do all these things that I don't want to do. I have to be around, you know, a lot of people that I don't want to be around in an environment that I don't necessarily love. Yeah. And, uh, that isn't fun or stimulating for me in any way. And, um, I just basically said, I looked at it like 
I honestly looked at it like, what if I was a slave and I got a chance to escape? Okay. How hard would I run? That's crazy. I would run like a motherfucker. Yeah. And that's what I did. Um, made a lot of friends on the way, made, made some enemies on the way. You know, people don't like to see you rise. Um, there's a there's a saying that people like to see you do well, but not better than them. That's true. I, I never really understood that until I started to do really well, and then I saw, um, I saw that. Yeah, exactly. I saw that firsthand. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Did you feel any pressure knowing that you were working for your father? Like, yeah, that you had to be in that business because yes. it's a family business. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget when I was talking to my father at work, and I said, you know, hey, this coaching business is really taking off, and he said, will you cut the shit with that bullshit and put your fucking energy into something that actually makes money like you're wasting <laughs> fucking time and i i just looked at him and i put my phone in my pocket because i was showing him some like results yeah and i just said nothing and i got up and i walked out and i said you know i i need to this isn't slavery but i need to look at it like it is i need to get as frantic as as if I was kidnapped in somebody's trunk and they stopped and the trunk popped open and they went in the gas station. And I had to run. That's, that's how I went at it. Get impulse, like yeah. start running. Yes. You know? Yes. I said, they say that life's a, a, a marathon, not a sprint, but real ones sprint in a marathon way. And that's what I did. And uh, I, there was another saying that says, you'll be successful when you want to, uh, you know, be, you want to be successful as much as you want to breathe. It was a story about this guy, this wise man told this guy to walk out into the water and put your head under the water and hold your head under the water as long as you can. And see how, see how bad you want to breathe? When you want to be successful as bad as you want to breathe, you'll be successful. That is that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So uh, growing up, you know, I, I was a problem child for sure. ADHD to the max. Um, not great at math. Probably have some learning disabilities with math. I, I never been diagnosed with anything, but I, I just am not good at numbers. Yeah. Anybody will tell you that who knows me well. Uh, numbers are not my thing. Um, and my entire life, you know, my father's a pretty successful guy. My brother went to Harvard, then he went to MIT. He's a super genius. Uh, my sister went to Tufts. She's a real estate mogul. And my other sister went to UVM and she owns a few businesses up in Vermont. So I was sort of the black sheep. I, Got in trouble a few times. I got involved in some some things in my twenties that were uh, not great, and um, you know I have had I had some um, you know I had some 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 rough experiences growing up. Yeah. And so, what was I? I was the black sheep. Do you feel like life was against you? Like you know, just seeing the success of your family, how everything is kind of folding the right way for them yeah it, it i don't know if i want to say that life was against me but i want to say that i always had an extremely high bar to reach yeah. and at some point i decided that the bar was just too high and i i just sort of gave up and you know the, that manifested itself in a lot of different ways you know um you know one thing i never gave up on was working out although i did so one of the most one of the most um transformative experiences of my entire life was uh when i it was it was i think it was 2011 yeah and i had been bodybuilding i was in college and really jacked and big you know and i didn't feel good and i was tired all the time yeah walk up 
walking around at 240 pounds and just absolutely exhausted and grumpy and always eating. And I said, you know, bodybuilding is whatever, but this, this is not the way that I want to live my life. I don't want to be, you know, weighing out every meal and, and eating seven meals a day. And that's my only thing. Yeah. And then, cause you know, most bodybuilders don't make any money and the legacy that you, you leave behind is, is in my opinion, it's, it's not a great one typically because other than your body, you haven't built anything. And you yeah. sacrifice every aspect yeah. in your life because you're so dedicated. Every single aspect of my life. I mean, just n barely went out. Um, always anxious, always, you know, hyped up from something, whether it's pre-workout or a diet pill or, you know, uh, um, you know, some sort of stimulant to get myself through the workout yeah. through the day. Um, so I felt like shit. So I decided to change courses. I just, uh, had a, um, a, a breakup and I, I said, look, I need to reinvent myself here. So I started doing MMA and I was, I wrestled, I was good at wrestling. Yeah. So MMA came pretty naturally to me. I, I, I remember being in the, uh, doing jujitsu like for the first time and I didn't know what the fuck I was <laughs> oh doing, but I was manhandling people. <laughs> Picking <laughs> you know? them up. Yeah. Like I was just, just manhandling them, you know, wrestling them. Yeah. And, um, so I loved it. And that, that went on for about a year until I start, you know, I lost a bunch of weight and I found out via the uh, stabbing leg pain that I had a spondylolisthesis at the L5 S1, uh, junction of, di of the, um, vertebrae. The disc was, was, uh, was totally ruptured, sticking wow. out of my nerve and the bones were actually broken. So, so they were if, you, if you look at me from the side, if you look at me from the side, it was like that. Okay. It wasn't moving, but it was like that disc was totally crushed. And you're oh, still training. Going I was still training. So I did everything I could possibly do to get through it. You know, I was, um, using, uh, um, what's that stuff called? Uh, cortisone injections and, uh, everything had up three cortisone injections and, uh, you know, they, they worked for a couple of weeks and then they stopped working. And, and how did they discover that? Did you get like, pain or so i was i just started getting this aching pain in my right or i think it was my right ass cheek and uh it was shooting down my leg and it got really from annoying it felt like there was a feather on my foot at all times brushing back and forth to painful where it was just stabbing it felt like i was being shanked in the ass cheek oh, shit. so um so you know i went saw the doctor they said look you need surgery you, you can either do a discectomy, which I probably should have done, um, or you can do a fusion. If you get a discectomy, you know, you might need a future, future surgery. If you get a fusion, you know, there's all kinds of other things that can happen. It changes you. Okay. It changes the way your body moves. It changes every aspect of how you train, how you move, how you conduct yourself during the day, how you pick things up off the ground. So you, you, you now have to be more conscious of just your day to day. Yeah. Now I have to. Then I have a string pulling my head up when I kneel down to pick a piece of paper up. That's how it was after the surgery. How was that for you? Like that experience of having an active So, So I went from being in the best shape I've ever been in my whole yeah. life. You know, I was probably like 190 pounds shredded. I mean, it was, yeah. I was carved out of stone. And then within, you know, three months, because I, I had the surgery in October and I stopped everything I was doing in about July, August, September, October. Um, 
No, actually, I had the surgery in December. So I had the sur- so there was three months before the surgery. I'm not sure what I think it was September. It was October, November, September, October, November. That was a disaster um, before the surgery. I didn't work out at all. I was partying every single night, doing you know drugs and uh, anything I could do to just make myself not want to kill myself because not my whole pain. identity was removed from me. I, I was now this skinny, um, like I, I was just a shell of my former self. You felt like you were, it wasn't even your body. It your wasn't body. even my body. I looked in the mirror, I didn't recognize what I saw, and I couldn't move, and everything hurt. So I would go out every single night. Oddly, that's the semester at Salem State I made the dean's list. I did really well that semester. I don't understand why. But um, I would go out every night, all night, and go to class and sleep and, you know, just go out again and keep your mind occupied. Yeah, after. and work a little bit. And, and um, you know, I, uh, I was just not me. So then the surgery happened, got the surgery, and that was terrible. Um, you know, I was on my back for three months straight at my house and I had, this was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I had nowhere to hide. I had no one around me. I had no girlfriend. Um, you know, my friends would stop by occasionally, but I really did get to see how many real friends I had. There weren't that many people supporting me. It was very few. You know Uh, what it says when you go through like a struggle that's that deep, whether it's divorce, um, bankruptcy or physical like your body you're in an accident yeah it really brings out the people that are there for you and oh, yeah. you can easily weed out the ones that are not oh yeah yeah my circle got a lot smaller after that and um but i had no choice but to sit there and face myself face my demons face my um you know i, I would sit there and dissect my personality and dissect interactions I've had with people, every single thing I could possibly do. And I would cry, you know, I would, I would, uh, my sister was going through a divorce and I would call her up and listen to her and just sob. And, uh, I felt helpless. I felt weak. Yeah. It's one of the things I think about when I, whenever anything bad happens now, it's a benchmark, you know, it's, 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 it's a benchmark for, is it that, as bad as that? Okay. It's not. Okay. Then you you can handle it. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was terrible. So the doctors told me I'd never work out again. Really? I could work out lightly, but I'd never squat again. Never, never deadlift again. Never bench press heavy again. And, um, now certainly never do MMA again, which was really, really that disappointing. Was answer, yeah. that, that made me sad because I, I, I was in love. I mean, I was in love with that shit. I, I, I trained four times a week at this place. Um, dragon within dragon in within. Salem. In Salem. Okay. And, um, yeah, Dennis Krieger is the coach. Shout out, Dennis. You're a good guy. And, um, yeah, so I, so I sat there dissecting myself all the while, you know, I had my ex-girlfriend taking full advantage of the situation. She hated me and she was doing everything she could to upset me, whether yeah. it be, you know, be, be, be with my, be with my friends or be with people that I knew to, you know, saying terrible things and, so I just felt like, okay, at, at some point something clicked and I just said, this is great. I said, I'm coming, I'm coming back, baby. I love that. I'm coming back. I will do whatever the fuck it takes to come back. I'm going to shove that right up the doctor's ass and I'm coming back. So after about three months of feeling, you know, like a little mini pity party, 
sitting there smoking weed and letting time pass and laying in certain positions so my back wouldn't hurt. You know, my back started to heal up a little bit. I went to go see the doctor. He said, look, you're fully fused at three months. I don't know how you're fully fused, but you can go back to weightlifting to some degree. Be careful. So within about two months, I got totally shredded. I wasn't big anymore, but I was shredded. Yeah. I mean, I peeled. It looked good. I, I felt better. I felt really good. You were gaining control of your life. Yes. And that, that, that was one of the best feelings of my whole life. That's also a benchmark. You know, when I think about some, anytime I feel good, yeah. I always think about, hey, is it that good? That was really good. And that felt like a full body, full time mental and physical orgasm. I felt so good. I felt so strong. Uh, even though I wasn't physically as strong, I felt like I'm back, baby. I'm back. So, um, you know, that taught me a lot, you know, anybody out there who's going through injuries, anything debilitating that's making you feel like you can't do it, you have no choice. You have no choice. You you are the only person who has your back at the end of the day, and you are responsible for your own destiny. You have no choice but to do it. You have to, period. Um, so, um, so after my fusion surgery, I moved to Medford. I had a new girlfriend and I was working as a motorcycle salesman. Okay. And, uh, I wanted a regular job. I wanted to gain some experience working, uh, hard and busting my ass for little to no thank yous because I wanted to train myself. I wanted to train myself and show myself. And I've done this several times in life. I wanted to show myself what I don't want to do. Um, figure out what you want to do by showing yourself what you don't want to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Exactly. So and you, you get to, you know, analyze yourself, like you said, and see the things that, you know what, I don't see myself in this path. Yeah. But it opens up your world. To yeah. That. Sometimes you have to try 15, 20 different things before you figure out what, what's right for you. So uh, more problems to come. Um, I tore my bicep uh, right around the time I started working at the motorcycle dealership and toured a few times working there. Just muscle belly tear. Really <laughs> deformed the shit out of my bicep. And uh, I also had a broken AC joint that I didn't know about. So I was all fucked up from bodybuilding. I had a broken AC joint. The end of my clavicle was basically a ball and it was just in between the two bones there grinding around. So working out was getting more progressively more and more difficult. My left arm was shrinking because I couldn't use it the yeah. same way. And finally, I'm like, I had stopped working at the motorcycle dealership after about a year. I was working for my dad and I said, look, I got good health insurance. Let me see what the hell's going on here. So I started like obsessively going to doctor appointments to try to figure out what was going on. I went to the um, orthopedic doctor for the uh, New England Patriots. Yeah. Um, and he, he didn't know what was going on. He couldn't figure it out. So I must have gone to like five or six different doctors, had – upwards of 10 MRIs and other imaging and they still couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, so I went to see, uh, this, this guy, Dr. Steiner, and he said, well, there's something wrong, right? So I think your bicep is probably has a slap tear that they can't see up here. That's when the, the bicep tendon tears off the labrum. Yeah, yeah. And so we went in, he did, did a surgery and fixed it. And then, um, I went to see a uh, upper thoracic surgeon. He figured out that my clavicle was messed up. So he took out the end of my clavicle, resected that. 
So now I'm sitting here. I, I've had all. I've had a bunch of surgeries: spinal fusion, bicep. So actually, this is this is terrible. Two weeks after my bicep tendon surgery, the first one, um, I was messing around with my friend at my house, I, and I kicked him, and I pen, I swung my arm back, and the bicep detached from my uh, my humeral head. So they had to go back in two weeks later, redo the bicep. Um, I also had to get a, my septum fixed because my nose was not breathing. You know, I had my, I deviated septum from car accident. Okay. And, um, you know, I had an ulnar tunnel release. When I first went to go try to figure out my arm, they thought I had cancer. They found a mass in my neck here. So they went in, they gave me a scalenectomy. So they cut out some of my scalene muscles and they took out a mass, but the mass was just a clogged lymph duct. But they were pretty sure when, before the surgery, that was cancer. But I knew right after that surgery that whatever they tried to fix, it wasn't fixed. My arm wasn't fixed. And I just got this crazy surgery for no reason. It was terrible. That was also a terrible time. That whole year was terrible. Um, so after I recovered from all these surgeries, I had my bicep reattached, still fucked up, but it was attached. Uh, then I had to deal with the fact that my spine had totally gotten fucked up because I hadn't been moving throughout all this. So I had degenerated discs in every single level. So there's no, no cure for that. They just give you anti-inflammatories and they tell you, you know, take fish oil and, you know, don't <laughs> lift heavy. And uh, yeah. I'm like, that's that, what am I going to do. So I asked about stem cells and the doctor said, actually, that might work. That okay. might work. That's and huge. I, yeah. It's expensive too. So he put me on with his uh, colleague, Dr. Tim Davis. Dr. Tim Davis is the best, Santa Monica. And I went down to see him and he said, look, there's about an 80% chance it's going to work. And if it works, you'll be about 90% better. I said, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I got the stem cells done. They took some uh, marrow out of my hip and they injected it with platelet-rich plasma, which is the yellow stuff in blood that rises into my spinal into my, uh, my, my, my discs. And, um, yeah, I had to, uh, I had to lay, lay there. Um, I had to, to, to lay there after that surgery for a while, while I was laying there after that surgery, my ulnar tunnel, my ulnar nerve got trapped in my elbow. Then I had to get an ulnar tunnel surgery. Oh my God. So I'm basically got a <laughs> fucking piece of meat at this point, totally out of shape. I looked like a sea creature and, um, you know, feeling terrible about myself. I had a a girlfriend at the time who later became my wife and, um, you know, she was super supportive and helped me, helped to rebuild me and, um, you know, kept me from, you know, wanting to just exit the world, you know. Did you get, come across that, that thought frequently going through all the struggles that you were going through? I've never come across the thought of, I want, I'm going to kill myself, but I've certainly come across the thought of, I want to kill myself. Or I don't want to be alive anymore. Yeah. I don't want to be here anymore. I'd love to check out. But I would never do that to my family. I would never do that to people around me. I, I always looked at it at the end of the day, what's worse, living a miserable life or destroying everybody's life around you? And I said, living a miserable life's worse. I'm tough. I can take it. So after all these surgeries were done, I started working out a little bit. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to get in shape again. Yeah. starting to feel like myself again. I had like a ponytail. It was weird. And um, that's what happens when you lay around, your hair grows. (laughs) So uh, I got a job at a gym and I was working for my dad and I was working at the front desk at Gold's Reading at the age of like 28 or 27, which is 
20, no, I was probably 28. And, you know, I felt a little bit insecure about that. Like, you know, my brother's this genius. I'm working for my dad. He, my brother also works for my dad, too. My brother's this genius guy, and he's, he's, a, he's a really just a very successful, talented kid. And uh, I'm over here working at the front desk. Why am I doing that? Well, the reason that I was doing it was I wanted to socialize with people. I, yeah. I was so in my own bubble. And, and I also I wanted to make connections, meet people. I wanted to network. And I wanted to be in a gym environment because I love, I love the gym. Always your have. Habitat. Yeah. So working at the front desk there, I got a few clients and got a few good results and posted them and uh, – then I then I decided I want to compete, so I competed, um, competed in Florida, and uh, I was I was in good shape. I got fifth place. Um, Out of how many people? There was a lot of people. I don't yeah. remember, but it was a big show. That's huge. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll just tell you that it, I always say if I never had my spinal fusion, like if I never went through these surgeries, I would have been something else but you know what god always gives the challenges to his toughest yeah he gives the the hardest tasks to the toughest words that's that's for sure so um and i'm glad honestly that i'm not glad that my body doesn't work perfectly like it used to but i'm glad that i'm not that i didn't you know go yeah. full on in bodybuilding because that's that's you know i know people love it but it's a sad life in my opinion it's a lonely it, life. it's a lonely life and you know, you don't get to keep any of the work that you do. I mean, eventually it goes away. Yeah. And it usually, it's usually a, uh, a bumpy ride down, you know, injuries or life situations. And, yeah. You know, when you lose all that muscle mass and it fucks with you, bothers yeah. you. So, uh, yeah. Um, I love the quote you have on your, your sweater. Civilize the mind or savage the body. But make savage the body. But make savage the body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, civilized mind is pretty important. Um, and controlling your mind is the most important thing. If you have control, a lot of people think that their mind has control over them, but yeah. that's, that's a misconception. You have control over your mind. You can make your mind do what you want it to do. That's what I figured out. Um, so then I competed. And then after that, I got a bunch of clients, uh, for diet coaching and stuff and got some good results. And, you know, over the next few years, it just sort of exploded and it got really popular. And, um, yeah, then shut, shut my, shut my mind off to every other thing, whether it be going out to dinner, seeing family, uh, seeing friends. And all I did was work. I would come home on Friday night at around 10 o'clock and I would write programs until two, three o'clock in the morning, send them out. So people had them for Saturday morning so they could get their stuff and get ready for Monday. Um, and then Saturday morning I would wake up and I would train all day long. And then Sunday, I would train a few hours and then go to church and then sometimes train a few hours after that. So um, clients came out of the woodwork for me. And I don't yeah. really know why that is. I'm, I'm, I'm good at what I do, whatever. But I think that's glory to God because I think God wanted this. God, exactly. God wanted me to be helping people. And I helped a lot of people, a lot of people. We're talking about. So I would get clients who would come to me like 300 pounds and I would take 100, 150 pounds off them. That's, that that's life-changing for changes someone. people's lives. So once I started doing that, getting really good results and changing people's lives, that's when my, my, my life had purpose. I figured, well, I know how to do something. I can help people with it. This is my job here. That's and I've purpose. always – I tell a lot of my clients that I think that um, 
you know, uh, I'm not a perfect Christian by any stretch of the imagination, right? I do believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Um, but, you know, uh, I always tell people, if there's any reason that I'm here on earth, it's this. This is the reason. Um, you know, the, I don't know if you've seen or heard of the com concept Ikigai, where, you know, you some you do something that you're good at um, and you're helping society and you can make a living out of. That is your purpose. Yeah. That is your existence. And I think you found that, you know, after everything that you've been put through, you know, all the struggles of your physical pain and the surgeries. Chris, just by the way you explain the anatomy of the body. You know what you're talking about. For and sure. that just speaks volumes of, you know, your investment and how passionate you are about what you do, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, with that Ikigai, it's like not a lot of people even dare to challenge themselves to go search for their their happiness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's amazing that you're you're doing I try this. to help all my clients with that if I have the opportunity to. Because I think a coach is supposed to, you know, recognize potential in people and try to bring it out. Like I got, I got this girl here, Brittany. Um, she's a nurse and she's got all kinds of things going on jobs and stuff. And, and I recognize she would be an asset for this gym. And I have been doing everything I can to bring this side out of her, this powerful side. Yeah. She's a powerful person. I recognize that and it's working. It's nice when it works. Yeah. You know, it, it, it does kick you in the balls when you put in all this energy into somebody and they, they disappoint you. So Chris, um, in Ponte Pilas, we have a segment. Um, in Ponte Pilas, I mean, your life, you know, I, I honestly, if I, when I think of Chris right now, I think of a Phoenix, you know, you reinvented yourself in so many times, so many things that's happened to you in your life. Um, is there anything that you've gone through in life that has impacted you in a way that, you know what, I need to get my shit together and just pull forward, you yeah. know, like wrap yourself together. Yeah. Um, I mean, going back to the spinal fusion, right before the spinal fusion happened, I got arrested um, for, uh, I don't know if I should say this. You can, sure, sure. Okay. Might not want to put it in, though. Um, <laughs> I got arrested for uh, steroid possession. Okay. Um, I was actually in a car uh, that had steroids in it. I didn't even know. And, um, yeah. So I got arrested. I beat the case. Um But I said, wait, like, I need to change my playground, my play toys, and my play things and get the fuck away from all these shitheads yeah. bringing me down. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess, like, every relationship is a good teacher. Yeah. You know, the, the beginning is great and the end is painful and there's all kinds of things that happened in the middle. And I'd say that every relationship that's ended has been, been a good lesson for me. Um, you know, um, One time I had to reinvent myself. I got, got in trouble when I was younger. I got sent away. Ended up in this place. Ended up in a few places, but I ended up in this place out in Utah. Um, and that place has a lot of open cases on it right now. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a documentary on, I think it's on Netflix right now, and it's about these treatment centers. Um, there was one specific one. I think it's called Elan, Elan and it was in uh, Poland Springs, Maine. And it goes through what went on there. And I was watching it uh, the other night. And I'm saying to myself, oh, this looks familiar. <laughs> All of this happened to me pretty much. Um, so that was pretty crazy. Uh, this place, Vista in Utah. And they, they basically tried to brainwash you and manipulate 
manipulate, you know, the system to keep you there longer and tried to turn you into a Mormon. It was pretty fucked up. That was a huge one. Now, when I got out of there, so I actually escaped from there. I ran away. Um, and then once you run away, they, they won't take you back. So I got kicked out. And then I ended up in this like DYS facility called Penakees Island and, uh, off the coast of Cuddy, off the coast of, um, Cape Cod okay. next to Cuddy Hunk. Okay. And it's an island. It used to be a leper colony and there's no electricity there. So it's a bunch of kids, uh, probably like 20 kids and in a house with no, no heat, no electricity in the middle of winter in the middle of the ocean. That's crazy. And it used to be a leper colony. And, and basically, uh, what we would do all day is we would have, we would either be chopping wood all day or we would be in class. And class was a joke. It would basically watch movies. It was nothing. And I was 17 at the time. You know, when I got out of there, I reinvented myself. I mean, I was so, I was, uh, I was so like, I was like, all right, that's not for me. Criminal life's not for me, right? Yeah, Even though yeah. I went back to it to some degree later. Um, and um, yeah, to trans that was that was fucked up though. I mean, uh, you want to talk about PTSD? That was that was that was bad. Uh, Pentecost Pen was actually a uh, it was like a country club compared to Vista. Vista's really where they. I mean, the day that I escaped Vista, I said to myself, "I'm either gonna stab someone in the neck." get myself put in prison because at least I won't end up being brainwashed and becoming a Mormon. I'm okay with, like, I, I didn't want to go to prison, obviously, but I said, this is, this is it. This is the bottom line. Cause I was watching all these kids get brainwashed and stuff yeah. and it was freaking me out big time. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get too in depth about what went on there. I'll just no, no. say that documentary on YouTube is, uh, I'll give you an example, example. right? Yeah. So I basically waited until I had the chance and I slipped away and I jumped over the gate and I ran. And, um, um, so that day I said, I'm either going to stab. So I got a piece of metal and I put it in my pocket and I said, I'm either getting out of here one way or the other. Today's the last day. So I ended up escaping and then I ended up getting brought back to Massachusetts and put in Penikes. So, um, yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, that had me feeling like, uh, a problematic per I mean, I'd convinced myself. I think we all do this. Sometimes we yeah. convince ourselves. We just can't do it. It's just something about us that we can't do it. The difference between people who can and can't do it most usually in most situations is the people who can do it have tried so many times until they got it. Yeah. And the people who can't do it just quit. Okay. You know, quitting is the worst thing in the world. My father instilled that in me at a young age. Quitting is the worst thing in the world. It's a habit forming. You give yourself a break, give yourself a break. It's it sort of, it's falls in the same sort of category as like comfort addiction. You know, people who are, have an aversion to being uncomfortable. People don't like to go to the gym. People don't like to work out. Um, so yeah, excuses, quitting, comfort addiction, throw that in one box there. Um, man, don't, don't ever give up on yourself. Cause at the end of the day, when you look back at your life, you are the only person you can hold responsible for what happened. That's true. All these people with bad things happen to them. I want to say, um, you should try to change your mind about what's going on. If you have something terrible going on, you need to look at it as an opportunity as hard as that may be. Um, if, if your life's shit in the bed and everything sucks, Hey, that's an excellent opportunity. 
to change, to do things differently. I think that some of the most awful times in my life, I look back on some of the most fond memories because those are the times where I transformed and yeah. turned into a different person. And yeah. I've transformed many times. Like a shapeshifter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, growing up as the problem child and then going through all these different things and then all of a sudden I find myself in my late 20s still not, not, not knowing what the fuck to do. I said, oh, I could continue to work for my father and, and hate this job and hate my life. I said, I can't let all these people walk around around me doing so well and doing so many big things and I have this high bar and I'm down here. Yeah. So I always wanted to be successful. I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what I was good at. Here's an important point, right? This is very important. People always pay attention to what they're not good at and they harp on it. What if you just paid attention to the things that you can do that you're good at and you sharpen them? Then you can be really good. People always try to do things they're not good at or um, they, they quit too early. Show up. Biggest the biggest difference between a winner and a loser is the winner shows up after he loses. That's true. He keeps going. Yeah. And the loser says, fuck this. That's too hard for me. <laughs> that's not for me. Yeah. So many people come into the gym and I coach them on diet. When things get tedious or tough, they, some, a lot of them quit. A yeah. lot of them quit. Not knowing that that's setting a precedent for future diets and fitness programs and um, you know, you're, 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 you're getting your, 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 your set, you're, you're practicing the art of failure when you quit. If you practice that enough, guess what? It's going to be a failure. Yeah. You're going to be a failure by your own definition, at least. That's true. So. And, and like you said earlier that, you know, it creates a habit of, and it, it goes into other aspects of your life. Yeah. You know? And it, it's, it's amazing to hear that you're saying that because a lot of people just give up too early, you know? And they don't go through the pain, through the grind, no. through, through the struggle. And no. uh, I think it was Shia LaBeouf. He was uh, a quote that he had in one of the little short videos I was watching. He's like, if you're going through shit, it's not the end. And if you're going through it right now, just understand it's not the end. You know, yeah. like you're still going through it. Yep. Gonna, things are good. Going to yeah. get better. They always yeah. get better. Yeah, it's always darkest before dawn, right? Yeah. That is so true. It's so true. Can you think of a, of a moment that it's it's been the darkest time in your life before dawn? Yeah. Um, let me think about that. So, um, when I... Okay, so there's been a lot of times. It's so, it's so hard to think about one, but um, I guess... Uh, it's up to you, man. If you want to share, I'm trying to trying to think of a good one. Always darkest before dawn. Um, yeah. So, like, when I was sitting there with my surgery, thinking that I was never going to be the same person again. Um, that was that was a dark time. That was a dark, dark time. I was a losing of my mar my marbles, and you know my, my mental health was taking a hit. It wasn't just that I was just gen you know in a, in a generic fashion just freaking out. I was like really having a hard time, and I didn't know how much more I could take. And I just would ask God, and I would say, God, can you please relieve me? Because I I just can't take this anymore. And then 
it became spring and I got back in shape and I started feeling good about myself again. And it was a bright dawn. That was, that was, a, that was, beautiful. that was when it was darkest before dawn. That's beautiful. Uh, that was when it was darkest. Um, um, briefly, we were sharing something that you're going through right now. Do you feel comfortable talking about Not, the situation? N- um, n- well, I'll, I'll talk about this, this situation, which is, um, the, sort of societal requirement on men to be emotionless. And the reality is we all have emotions, you know, uh, even, you know, El Chapo, he's got emotions. The problem, they might not be the same as yours or mine. He he has no problem doing really bad things, but, um, we're not allowed to express emotion, cry. I mean, two months ago, my dog died. My dog passed away. And I love that dog. And I love that dog like that was my homegirl right there. She yeah. was the best thing. I, she was the best. Her name was Betty Boop. She's a little pug. <laughs> how and old was Betty Boop? How old? Yeah. She was 16. Oh, so you had her. So sleeping and she fell off the bed and I just heard her go, oh. And then her body stopped moving. And she was just looking around frantically. And I yeah. said she broke her neck, must have broken her neck. And uh, she was already not doing well at that yeah. point. She was shitting everywhere and pissing all over me every time I pick her up. And I knew the end was she coming. Was going through so much. Yeah, and I, so I picked her up and I brought her and held her and they injected her and she died in my arms and didn't shed a tear. Um, and uh, so what I want to say about that is, you know, it's important to express your emotions as a man yeah. because if you don't, It'll get built up and it'll come out other ways. Yeah. It really will. It's 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 not like it's an actual physical object with any sort of volume, but emotion's a real thing. Energy's a real thing. And if you keep it bottled up, it'll come out other places. You'll, you'll freak out on your coworkers or your friends or your family or, you know, you'll make decisions that you don't really want to make. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going through something right now that's – probably the hardest thing i don't really want to get into what it is but it's probably one of the hardest things in my whole life yeah and um i would say it is and how do i deal with that how do i deal with the emotions of that well, i compartmentalize and that's very important for anybody who wants to be successful you can't let your emotions bleed if you're if you're working as a uh you know if you're working at um let's come up with a real generic basic job let's say you're working at you know pep boys or something right yeah and say it's your second job, whatever, and you have something terrible going on, you can't go up to the customer crying, right? You can't go up to the customer mad. You know, in my business, I deal with a lot of people face-to-face all the time, and um, not perfect, but I, I do my best to be pleasant, treat people well all the time. I certainly do, do a good job at that, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, if I didn't know about the art of compartmentalization, I'd be a disaster. So what I do is I allot myself certain windows during the day to feel bad if I want to. I'll allow myself 15, 20 minutes, you know, on the ride home from work to feel bad, to have those thoughts. And then I push them out and focus on the task at hand. And when you're going through something terrible in life and you still seek to be successful at the very same time, yeah. you've got to learn the art of compartmentalization. It's That's so huge. important. Yeah. Um, you give yourself that time give, to heal. Give, to give yourself the let time. Hey, let let yourself cry. Let me let me tell you, I'm not a big crier. I don't cry a lot. Yeah. Um, but when I do, 
I feel a lot better. I feel a lot lighter. I have to believe that crying is some sort of purging of that energy. A cleansing of the soul. Cleansing of the soul. And sometimes you need to cry to get through things, Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise you'll get past them, but you won't get through them. They'll still be with you and they'll still be affecting you. It's like they say, when you end a relationship, you don't want to jump right into another one because you won't be healed and you won't be the best version of yourself for that person. Yeah. So you, you, yeah, it's the society puts a lot of pressure on us. We're supposed to be strong, but we're supposed to be sensitive, but we're not supposed to cry, but we're supposed to be thoughtful. We're not, you know, we're, we're, supposed to treat women a certain way but then there's another side of the coin that says oh you're a bitch if you treat women that way you know uh it's 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 confusing yeah my best advice on this is be yourself do what comes natural yeah um try to a lot of the stipulations society places on us they're not realistic yeah so do your best do do the best you can don't be ashamed of yourself and we're all people. We're all humans. That's amazing. We make mistakes. Yeah. And we're not bulletproof. And you know? honestly, I walk life now being compassionate with people. Yeah. Everyone's going through something. Yeah. And don't take things personal. You know, like I, I understand that you don't know what that person's going through. Yeah. But, you know, what that's, he has on his back. That's why I give my clients a hug every time I see them. Yeah. Because the power of a hug do a lot of good. Yeah. If you're going through something... You know, uh, like my client, Victoria, I don't think she'll care. She goes through something every other week. Girl, poor girl. She's, she handles it like a fucking trooper. That's great. And, you know, she got a little bit emotional the other day. She started the waterworks during the training session. I gave her a good long hug. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It's, it's if, you, if you can give, if you can do your best to give people a good taste every time you see them, that's... That that's more than impact. a yeah. That, that people always they don't remember what you say, they don't remember what you do, but they always remember how you make them feel. That's true. And so you can do you can be great, much better at networking, and have a much better reputation, and feel a whole lot better about yourself, and be a whole lot better for other people if you just try to brush off a little compassion every time you deal with somebody. That's true. But there's a difference between fake compassion and real compassion. You need to feel it in your heart. Exactly. When you're dealing with somebody, people know what fugazi is. They know what fake is. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you're if you're a real one, people will appreciate it. Comes out you. genuine. Then yeah, people, it's, yeah. It's, it's a magnet. It attracts. It is. I think that's one of the reasons that I've been able to be successful in this business because people know at the end of the day, I'm not perfect, but I'm a real one. You know, I'm a real deep. one. I care so much for my clients. Now there are certain clients that don't give me the opportunity to care for them that way because they interact with me so minimally or they. Um, you know, go they off have that them. shield, you know, yeah. people walk with that shield, exactly. and, you know, but the ones that I do get a chance to get inside their head and really understand what makes them tick. Uh, and I can help their lives get, be magic. better. And that's a good thing. The thing I like most about my job, my career, my life is my, the ability I have to make people feel better yeah. and to heal them and make them feel a little bit more secure I think that's what a man should do. Man should should do that. If, if there was ever a rule put on men, it should be that. Make people feel better and make people feel secure and safe around you. And that's what I do. I make all my clients feel very safe around me. So That's amazing. Chris, before we wrap this up, yeah. some people like to finish with a quote or some a message they want to share. I know what you just said mm. right now. 
Um, mm. Anything before we end the episode? Yeah. Um, so a message, which is I'm semi-successful, I guess some people would say. Some people maybe would say I'm not, but I'm, you know, I'm a business owner. I own two businesses, and um, I'm 35. I'm almost 36. At the age of 30, I still did not know what I wanted to do. I was still confused and I still thought I couldn't do jack shit. Don't give up. Never give up. And then the quote I'd like to give you, and, and I'll have to explain it is, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And I've seen people who are very disadvantaged do extremely well yeah. because they have the heart of a lion. They have a big dog inside. I'm not talking about physical size. It could be applied to that too, of course, but um, you know, I've seen like myself, for example, I started out as just, just a coach, just emailing people diets, doing check-ins with them, making sure that they're following their diet, yelling at them if they needed a little bit. Um, and I was a nobody and, 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 and I busted my balls so hard. I became one of the main people around for fitness. Uh, I became a gym owner. I, I own a big 26,000 square foot gym. Um, and I have tons of personal training and diet coaching clients. And I'm, you know, so uh, even if you feel like a little dog, you know, you can be a big dog. You got to go within. Yeah. Dig, dig. Release the dragon within. Open it up. Um, yeah, that's my quote. It's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. That's amazing. Okay. So Chris, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Um, you're a gym. I don't know if you know this, but you're the you attract successful people to your gym. Yeah. You know, like minded people. Yeah. I love the environment that's coming Thank in. You. I will be a member of I your gym. I appreciate you know, that. You're right? more than welcome to work out today if you'd like. Um for any of the viewers watching, is there any promotion or something to entice them to come yeah. and share some of this experience? Yeah. Guys, uh my Instagram is AWP underscore master shredder. If you want to come in um, you want a day pass, just DM me, tell me that you saw the show and uh, I'll make sure that you're all set at the front desk. Awesome, brother. All right. Thank you very much. Do a man. day pass. You're going to love it. Thank you so much.